Okay, so today is going to be interesting. I got two interesting people that um, it was it was kind of cool. I had known Andrew for how long? Two hours, <laughs> and the Lord just laid it on my heart to talk to him to ask him about his availability to um, to teach this class. I didn't know why. And then later on, I find out that he was actually a worship pastor at Highlands, and he had been to Bible school, so ministry school, ministry school, and so it was kind of interesting. So I had him write up what he was going to teach, and I was like, "What? That's what I would have done." So it's kind of excellent for him to walk into that path. So. Mr. Andrew Price is going to be the one to teach the first session of this class. And then uh, my very good friend Daniel Wheeler is going to take the second session here. Um, you've been at New Song for 12 years now? Okay. So it's been at New Song for forever. And I've had the privilege of actually sitting down one of these his sessions when because uh, I was M on the Usher team. And so sometimes he gives us some powwows. And so I've heard him. Uh, minister, and so I thought that he would be a good fit also for this class. And he is assistant coach at UCO. Like See, I got it right for basketball. Unfortunately, it's not soccer, but we'll forgive him for that. Okay, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll begin. Father, we just thank you in the name of Jesus for what you're about to do and how you're about to teach us uh, to walk the path that you have set out for us. And I thank you, Father, that it is by your Holy Spirit that we're able to get in the information that you want us to get in and get the knowledge that we we need. And so um, I pray that you're with us, uh, with the teachers and with all of us that are listening, that we're just in the right heart, in the right space, ready to receive and learn. And even as we learn, knowing that even after this class, you will keep on teaching. So we just thank you and we honor you and we just await what you have for us. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Andrew. What's up, everybody? How y'all doing today? Awesome. Um, so if you have your booklets, why don't you go ahead and turn to page six, because that's where we're going to be today. It's just past the homework that maybe some of us did complete in two weeks and some of us didn't. But, you know, some of y'all probably looked at that like me and were like, what is homework? Is that like where you fix a dishwasher or your gutter, your leaky roof? You know, like I haven't seen homework in years. But uh, we are going to jump in, and I want to just kind of just reiterate what Pastor Tondra said from two weeks ago, because it's been a little bit, and I wanted to talk a little bit about just the importance of what he said, because what he said was so important, and that is that we have to approach the Bible with a certain type of attitude, and that attitude has to be one that is honoring to God and what he's written through his authors that he inspired, but also one that uh, humbles ourselves um, and says, God, we want to learn from you. We want to learn what you have for us. And um, it's so important, like just in interpreting scripture, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the process of that. So what are the tools that we need in order to interpret scripture properly, but also um, how can those help us understand um, God even more in what he's already laid out for us? And one thing that I want to mention that I really caught from two weeks ago was just how important it is what we bring to the table versus what God is meant to show us in reading these scriptures and reading his word. And that is that we have two options when we approach God's word. We can either, number one, um, bring those suppositions, those opinions, and we can seek to undermine God's word, 
or we can seek to understand. And so in studying the Bible, which is what we're all about, it's what we talked about before, is that we don't want to just be readers. We want to be studiers. So being a studier of the Bible means simply that we want to seek to understand. God, what are you saying? What are your promises to us? What are, you know, what, what should we not and should we do um, in this life? And it's our guidebook. And so we should treat it as something that we want to understand, not something we want to undermine. Because guess what? It is absolutely easy to undermine God's word if you're trying to do that. But we're not trying to do that because we, just like the word says, we trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't seek our own understanding, but we seek his. And so our job is to seek understanding. So I'm going to give us today just some practical tools that I was taught um, in reading God's word and understanding God's word. And they're very simple and I'm going to be able to lay them out for you. But the first thing that I want to do is I want to let you know kind of an easy resource. Cause I think sometimes, you know, we talk about like, here are the tools we're going to lay them out. Here's tool one, two, three, four, you know, and then we don't talk about where can we go find this and research that more. So there's actually a book it's by, um, Douglas Stewart and Gordon Fee. Fee is F-E-E, for those of you who want to find that. And it's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And this book is one that I, was, I had the privilege of reading when I was in ministry college. Um, it's very practical. It's actually a shorter book, so it's not like a textbook size book. So you're not going to be overwhelmed in reading that. But it's also going to help uh, kind of lay out some of these topics that I'm going to be talking about today, where if you are really interested in diving in further, you can research that. And also there is another website that I was also looking at this week. Um, that's very popular in helping to kind of break up the scriptures in God's word into sections to make it make more sense for the, the types of, um, literature that we're going to be talking about today. And it's called Bible.org. And you can actually go on there and on Bible.org, you can actually research uh, topics. So there's a topics page. And if you're interested in Old Testament survey, meaning what is, how's the Old Testament broken up? What does that look like? You can actually go on there and research that. And it's going to help you in your studying of God's word. And so I'm all about resources because God has blessed other people with the ability to see even further than we can into what he's saying. And so Definitely, you want to check out those resources, but let's, let's go ahead and dive in today. I want uh, to read together, if you'll look at page 6 at the bottom, there's a verse there. It's Hebrews 4.12, and this verse to me epitomizes what God's Word should be to us and what He wants for us in it. And so I want us to read it together. If y'all are ready, say ready. All right, let's read it together. So it says, For the Word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So I want you, real quick, if you have your pen, I want you to underline two words in that passage. I want you to underline alive, and I want you to underline active. Because there are two, those two things are the most powerful part of that verse And the reason for that is because there's so many other manuscripts out there. There's so many other things that we could read. I mean, you go into a Barnes and Noble, think about the literature. It's, it's endless. The amount of words and things that people have out there available to us, but God's word is different and it's different because it's alive and it's active. And I just want to talk about those two words for a second. I want to talk about, um, the word alive. So anything that's alive, 
has breath, right? We think about living microorganisms. On some level, they're respirating, right? So God's word, if it's inspired by the breath of God and it's, it's his words, there's actually a Greek term that I want to teach you today. Um, you, some of you may have heard it before. Some of you may not have. Um, but this word is pneuma. It's spelled P-N-E-U-M-A. I'm going to write that on the whiteboard for you guys. All right, so it's pneuma, all right? Pneuma is the Greek term we're talking about with alive. And this word simply means breath or spirit. And so in this, I want you to, I want you to approach God's word as if it is alive, as if it has been breathed by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, because if it is that, then this word describes the fact that it's alive. Okay? And there's, there's probably just pen and paper on other words. But the thing about God's word is that it has breath. It has a spirit to it. Okay? And, and then also, let's go to that word active. So active, um, there's a word also that's popular um, among scholars. And it is actually called rhema. It's also Greek. So it's spelled R-H-E-M-A. And then this word simply means the revealed word of God. All right. So the revealed word of God. So what's even more impressive about God's word is not only that it has breath and life, that it has a spirit, that the Holy Spirit is behind it, but also that over time, it's active. It's not just stagnant or stationary. It's, it's alive and active. And that's why I love that verse, because it, it talks fully about what God's word can do for us. So not only when we read it, does it speak to us, but it activates either something inside of us that maybe has been tucked away that God wanted to activate, or um, it, it urges us to an action, okay, which is still active. And so what's cool about God's word is no matter how many times you can read it, that God has something he wants to say and show you each time. And so I want you to focus on those two words, especially when we're studying, because every time we approach God's word, there's something to learn from it. There's something to get out of it. And then there's something to take with us when we leave it. Okay. Because yes, it is stationary. It's a book. It sits on a table, right? But it, it hides in our hearts as we go. And and so we want to make sure that we understand and remember that it's, it's spirit and it's active. So we have Numa and Rhema. And every time we pray before we approach God's word, we should also be praying, God, what is the Rhema that you want to show me today? What is this thing that you want to show me today? And that is actually what Pastor Tondra was talking about when he said, I want you to humble yourself before God's word, is we should be asking to receive and we should be posturing. So I'm a worship guy. I love worship. But it's important that we have to understand that when we, when we worship God or when we approach God, we have to posture ourselves in a place to receive from him because we can't just be wherever we want to be and expect to receive from God. Uh, I had a pastor a long time ago tell me it's very important that you don't just do whatever you want and then ask God to bless it. You find what God blesses and you do that. And this is what God blesses when you approach his word 
and you say, God, yes, it is spirit filled, but will you show me something? Will you activate this word in my life? And so that is our approach today. And simply, um, the, there, there are a few things that we want to talk about uh, mainly. Let me try to get this erased here. You can, uh, Daniel, did you want to help me? Thank you, buddy. I'm working him overtime today. <laughs> but um, so I want to talk about uh, hermeneutics. Everybody say hermeneutics. So hermeneutics, um, you spell it. It's, it's really difficult. I had a hard time spelling this when I first learned about this. It's H-E-R-M-E-N-E-U-T-I-C-S, hermeneutics. I'm going to write it up here in just a moment. No, you're fine. But we're talking about hermeneutics today because hermeneutics is simply the method or theory of interpretation. So this is so the theory or method of interpretation. All right. And hermeneutics um, is just a term that was coined by scholars long ago um, to talk about this process that we go through when we're studying God's word and we're studying it in the fullness of what we're trying to understand. And then there's also um, the process, uh, the system for that, which is called exegesis. All right. And exegesis is the process, and I'm literally just going to put the process, because hermeneutics is the thought, the idea, the idea that we're studying God's word, that we're getting more out of it, and exegesis is the process. So what does this process look like? What can we do when we approach God's word? Um, So there are, to kind of break it down, I'm a numbers guy. I like details to make it easy for you guys. I broke this down into three sections, okay? So there are three sections that we're going to talk about today. Um, And I call these the three pillars of exegesis, all right? And it's very important that we understand that all three of these are important in in studying scripture. So we've got number one, which is going to be historical context. And we're going to unpack these in just a moment, so bear with me. Number two is literary context. And then number three is going to be application. All right. So you've got hermeneutics is the theory or the method, the idea the concept. Exegesis is our process. And within exegesis, there are three things that we want to look at when we're studying scripture that are going to help us to understand essentially what is the original intent of the author? What did God intend by what was written? So that is our, that is our goal. That is our core concept is that we're using hermeneutics and exegesis to understand the original intent of the author. So if you, if you see that on the next page, then underline it, original intent, original intent, original intent. That is our goal. We want to find the original intent. We didn't, we're not trying to, again, we're not seeking to undermine or create content. We're trying to understand. And so when we approach God's word, we've got these three. So historical context speaks to what the author, 
the people mentioned in the passage as well as the language used, what that means at the time that it was written. So what's going on in this area? Where's the author writing from? What are they saying? Who are they talking to? All of these things are involved in historical context. So historical context is important because a lot of times we'll take a passage and it'll say something that has no you know, relative meaning to us in modern times today. And we'll say, we have to do that because that's what it says. But if you look at the historical context and you understand the original intent of the author, why they said it that way, who they were saying it to, why was it written at that time, then you understand that it is a part of the Bible. So history is all throughout the Bible. There's historical records. There's historical moments, historical acts. Um, There are so many things about history that have been proven as well in modern scientific times about what happened. And this historical context is very important. We shouldn't just throw it away. We should hold on to it because um, there are, are so many good things that we can take from it, even though sometimes it might not apply exactly to us today. So I want to give a couple examples of ways that you can understand and find historical context if you don't know about it, okay? So one of the ways, just like I gave you the the book earlier in the website, one of the things that you can do is you can find a good Bible dictionary, okay? Bible dictionaries are very, very important. Um, If you need some help finding some of those, I'm sure you can talk to one of us after. We probably have some suggestions. Um, I don't have any off the top of my head right now, but I do know that Bible dictionaries are very helpful because they give a little bit more context than just what you're reading in the scripture. So there will be a paragraph maybe at the bottom of that that Bible dictionary that's going to help you um, find out what is this word that's in this passage because I've never heard it before. And what does that mean? What is the definition of a talent? What is the definition of, you know, a cubit? What, what are these things, these units of measurement that they're using, you know, when they're talking about building the temple? Whatever it may be, Bible dictionaries are great because they kind of give you some of that information if you didn't know it before. And then the second thing that helps with historical context are going to be Bible commentaries. So one of my favorites is actually by a man named Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry is a, a, a renowned theologian. Um, and his Bible commentary is awesome because it takes you through scripture by scripture. And it helps you to piece together what's happening even in that context and around uh, when that scripture was written. It gives you so much historical information um, about what's happening. And so um, Bible commentaries help in studying scripture. And, and I think, again, I can't stress enough the, the use of resources because if you just go to the scripture by yourself and just ask God to reveal something, he will reveal something, but it's so much more clear. And that's what we're trying to find is clarity and understanding, right? It's so much more clear when you have those resources available. And so using a Bible dictionary or commentary is great. Um, but historical context is super, super important um, because when, whatever's happening at that time is different than what's happening now. Whatever they went through then is different than what we're going through now in, in a sense. Now, there are still some truths and some application, which we'll talk about in a little bit, that you can find from that historical context. But it's important that you understand that some of those things were because of the time that they were in. Some of those you know, traditions, some of the rules, the laws. Um, there's actually a whole section in the Old Testament that is, is literally labeled as the historical law, and it's the laws of Moses. It's what God gave the Israelites when they were in 
like coming out of Egypt in the desert, and there were things that they were supposed to do that now, nowadays some of those still apply to us. But it's important to understand everything that they went through. And so historical context helps us understand and connect more with the Bible. So I think historical context is, and this is just my opinion, I think it's just the connector from, from, to, uh, to us to the Bible, right? Because sometimes we can feel a little bit distant. We can feel like, okay, this doesn't really apply to me. I don't really fully understand it. But historical context helps you to wrap your mind around what was happening. Because a lot of the same things that they were feeling and thinking, we feel and think today, but it just was in a different way. And so that's why it's so important when you're approaching Scripture and reading to understand and read beforehand what is the historical context of this passage, so where's the author writing from? Who are they talking to? What's being said? It's so important. Um, so that's just a, l- a little summary of historical context. I'm going to get into a, l- a little bit later why historical context is important. We're going to actually do an exercise together um, because it's one of the most important pillars of exegesis is making sure that your historical context is correct. Um, the second pillar we're going to talk about is literary context, okay? Literary context is simply means just that sentences, phrases, paragraphs, words, a lot of them were designed to be read in a certain way. So this is evident and clear when someone reads a passage of Scripture, and then that uh, passage of Scripture gets taken out, but then the paragraph before and the paragraph after never get read. They never get understood, and they're still unsure of what it's saying. But then if they read the entire passages together, all three paragraphs— it would make more sense, right? So that's why literary context is very important, is to understand how, not just what was written, but how it was written, okay? And literary context, um, you just don't realize sometimes that, that there is so much literary content in the Bible. Like, we think of the Bible sometimes as just history, right? But there are so many types of literary context, and I'm just going to name a few for you guys, and you can kind of write these down. And again, on, on Bible.org, you can actually research some of these types of literary context, and it will allow you to be able to literally break down what parts of Scripture like these refer to, okay? Um, which I'll give you a couple of examples in here, but uh, it's really, really a great resource. So I would love for you guys to use that Bible.org when you're studying these. But the first uh, type of literary context we see in the Bible is poems and songs. Does anybody have any ideas of some books of the Bible that might be poems and songs? Psalms, yeah. Any other ones? Proverbs, yeah, Song of Songs, for sure. Uh, So there's actually uh, five poetic books in the Bible, starting with Job and ending with Song of Songs. So it's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. And these poems, they tell a story. So they tell a story of life, they tell a story of love, they tell a story of heartbreak. Um, think about all the times when David in Psalms is, is talking about his great successes, but then also in the next passage, it's like, man, we're, we're down in the dumps again, right? So it's, it's poetic in nature. The second type of literary context we have is historical narrative. So historical narrative is simply just a story that is told, or also it can mean um, just historical records. So... Does anybody have any idea, maybe potentially, and I'm asking on a whim here, but any idea of where a type of historical record would be found? Genesis, Exodus. Yeah. So there's also a really, really good one in Matthew chapter 1, and it's the genealogy of Jesus. So his bloodline and how it shows that he came from Adam all the way down you know, to, to himself 
And so that's a very important historical record and narrative because it tells us and connects us to God. So the third would be historical law, which we just talked about. Uh, So books like Exodus, Leviticus, where God was establishing his law in relationship with his people. Um, The next would be wisdom literature. Anybody know where some wisdom's at? Proverbs. All right. Then we have prophecy. So has anybody heard of the terms major prophets or minor prophets? So, <laughs> um, so major prophets and minor prophets. So, um, in the, in the, toward the end of the old Testament, we've got books like, um, Daniel, we, we have different people who God has, um, anointed and they are like Isaiah even who prophesy and, uh, they're people that God has called out and he spoke words to Israel through. Okay. And so this prophecy is just scripture that recounts visions or specific messages from God about the future. Okay. Um, then we're going to move on a little bit and we're going to talk about apocalyptic imagery. So, uh, we've got the book of revelation, which everybody is so sometimes confused about cause it can be a little confusing. That's why it's important to understand that literary context of Revelation is that it is apocalyptic in its imagery. And so it's those images that John is describing, they're meant to mean something else. They're meant to for us to kind of dive into and understand. And that's basically about the visions that he's having. And the, the term, if you ever want to look that up and research that, if that's something that you're interested in, is actually eschatology. So eschatology is the study of the end times. Um, so if you ever want to dive into that, then we've also got the gospels. That's another literary context. Okay. Uh, so you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these are stories about Jesus's life. So that's a separate literary context because it's all about his life and his ministry. Then we have the epistles. So did you know that letters were in the Bible? Yeah, they're in the Bible. It's pretty cool. We don't just write letters to people today, but Paul actually wrote quite a few letters to the churches that he established and throughout uh, different colonies. And um, that's a super cool literary context part. And then the last one would be metaphorical or parables. So Jesus taught in parables all throughout uh, the Gospels, and his parables are meant for us to find the meaning behind the metaphor that he uses. Okay. And it's important. Like it's so important to know this type of stuff before you go read it, because if not, you're not going to be able to understand and fully comprehend what God is trying to say and show you. Um, and so these literary contexts are all throughout the Bible. And it's very important that not only do we find the historical context, but we also find the literary context. We understand why, why it was written and how it was written. Um, and then the, the last thing before I get ready to hand it over to Daniel, um, the last thing I want to talk about is application. So if nothing else, this number three application, what we do at this stage of exegesis is so important because we can either take what we've learned from the context and understand how it applies, or we can just skip over those two and just apply it. And if we do that, it's dangerous. And so that's why there are three steps and why it's important that we do it in this order, that we find the historical context. So what, what is happening? Why, what, is, what is going on? And what is being said? The literary context, how it's written, how we're supposed to understand it. 
And then after that, we're able to take that information and understand how it applies in modern times and if it even does apply in modern times. So application is super important. There are two things I want us to focus on. We talked about it earlier, the original intent. So the author's intent, when you're at the application stage, you should have enough information to understand the author's original intent, to understand what they were trying to say and why they were saying it. And it refers to that original intended meaning. The second thing is what I just mentioned, the modern application. How does it apply to us today? And how was it originally intended also in that time period? So what did it mean then and what does it mean for us now? That's a great thing to ask. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? Um, Does anybody have a Bible that they can open up to and they can turn to Philippians chapter 1 for me real fast? We're going to do a little exercise. Just whenever you got it, just say got it. Philippians chapter 1. Got it? Somebody? Ready? Perfect. So will you read verse 27 through 30 for me, please? And do it on the mic so the people can hear it. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or, in, or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake." having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, so I wanted to read this passage because, and Daniel's going to love this because we study Philippians together. Um, so this passage is so important because, uh, and I, I wanted to show you an example of what it means to really find historical context. So Paul is... Um, speaking and writing this letter to his colony at Philippi. And that is the church that he established, right? So if we never read the history of that, we would never know that. Um, We would also never know uh, that what he's asking the Philippians to do is nearly against their complete mindset of how they were supposed to live. Because if we look at the history behind Philippi, Philippi was a colony of Roman citizens. So Paul is saying, Hey, and there's, there's a version that actually says to live. He says, I urge you to live as citizens of heaven. He's saying, don't be a Roman citizen, be a heavenly citizen. And if we understand that historically, Paul also is a Roman citizen, that he persecuted people under Roman law and authority, that God changed his life. And he is now writing this letter from prison to the Roman citizens and saying, hey, I'm in prison, but still be doing what I would, I would do. Live in a different way. Don't live as a Roman citizen. Don't be afraid. Be encouraged. Be courageous. If we didn't know that, then it wouldn't be as powerful and meaningful to us in what he's commissioning them to do. And so that is why it's so important to understand the context behind Scripture because it really brings it to light. It really is, it, it helps you understand, like, wow, what they did, there's, I would never do that. There's no way. Like, how, how would I be able to do that? But we know that God 
works all things out for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose, right? And so the power is not just in the words, it's in the history. It's in the people that went before us, the people that are going to go after us. So I, I want to say more than anything that studying God's word in this way, using exegesis, the importance of it is that we're leaving a legacy. We're leaving a lasting impact that's, that if we don't teach people now how to do this, we're going to lose that art way down the line. And, and what was originally intended by God back in the day when he, he told Peter, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this church and, and the gates of hell are not going to overcome it. Then we're going to lose that power. We're going to lose that authority. And so it's so important that we understand and we, we research, that we study, that we use these tools of exegesis to really pull out historical context, literary context, and then we apply it to our lives. And then we walk in a manner, just like Paul asked them, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Okay, so that's my charge to you guys today is that this week in studying, even in reading a simple passage, do a little bit more research. Find out a little bit more about that historical context. How was that passage written? Literary context. How does it apply to me today? And how can I use it in my daily walk? Right? Because that's the goal. The goal of this class is not for us to just take this information and, and really just let it you know, sit on a shelf. It's really for us to use it in our daily walks to encourage us. I mean, I know I've been encouraged just in preparing this to do this more often because it's, it's a daily battle. The enemy's there. He's shooting those fiery darts every single day telling us, Hey, you got to do something else. You got to be more busy. You don't have time for this. And you know, we do, we have time to study God's word because it's so important. So I just want to encourage you guys today that that is, you know, the goal is to just keep pushing, pressing on just like Paul, you know, and fight the good fight. So with that being said, I want to, um, call up my buddy, Daniel Wheeler. So Daniel's going to be talking today about how scripture can interpret scripture. And so this is also important and it's a part of that hermeneutics and exegesis. So he's going to continue. So I'm currently reading a book right now. It's called uh, start with why. All right. So I got to put into practice what I'm reading. And so Tondra, I talked about this last week. All right. But why are we studying scripture? Anybody remember? Like, because if we don't start with why, it'll, we'll burn out real fast. Like, real, real fast. So I need you to, like, come on. Hear God's voice. Hear God's voice. Ooh, that's a good one. I didn't have that one down. Come on, somebody else say something. Ooh, that's the one we're going to definitely go with. No God. Ooh, love others. There's one I didn't have. You guys are smarter than me. That's why I'm a basketball coach. All right, so we're just going to go with those three right now. All right, so to know God, that's the one I want us to really focus on. All right. To know God. All right, that's why we're here. All right, that's discipleship. This is a discipleship class. All right, we want to know God. And if there's anything I could get for you guys, it'd be that you could really know him intimately. Like better than you know your spouse, better than you know your kids or your best friend, that you would come to this place that you really know him in an intimate matter. All right. There's one other reason, though, and this changed my life. Um, on why we study scripture, all right? I w- for you guys that don't know me, I, I fell in love with Jesus when I was in college, my sophomore year of college. I went to this conference, and this guy just stood up on stage, and he said, hey, you're going to get lied to. And, like, that was the gist of his message. He just kind of kept saying over and over again, people are going to lie to you. You're going to be lied to over and over and over again for the rest of your life. And if you don't know the word of God, you'll just fall into pit of lies. And so I think it's really important that you understand 
that lies are going to happen. Before the end of today, you will be lied to. I promise you, like the Daniel stamp of approval, you will be lied to, okay? And if we don't know what's true, we'll fall into that lie. And it's the main way that Satan works. He's called the king of lies, the father of lies. It's his primary tactic. And so if we don't know what's true, we can't combat that tactic. And so we read and study scripture, want to know God, primary reason, beautiful. Stay on that. But we also need to read it, and that's why context is important. What Tondra I talked about is important, because we're going to be lied to. And I don't want you to fall into a lie, because that's a terrible place to be. All right? So let's answer this question. Why do we study scripture through reading? I'm going to need that wiped like 19 times, Brad. You have a responsibility. All right? Right now, all right, I'm just going to look at you, and that means go. Beautiful. You're really good at this. Oh, my goodness. All right, so why do we study Scripture through reading? Because we can get to know God intimately through a variety of ways, right? We can pray, and that helps us know God better uh, through meditation. That allows us uh, experience. We can encounter God in a real way. But why through reading? Why reading? Anybody know? Come on, give me some. I need some feedback. Oh, the Bible's the Word of God. Okay. Discipline? Oh, I'm dying up here. I came prepared, Tondra. You'd be proud. Hopefully this one works. Discipline. Okay. It's not, I promise. All right. So why through reading? So if you have a Bible, we're going to go to John 1. All right, John 1. Verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right? That word in the Greek, that word for word, is the word logos. All right? Which some of you have probably heard before. Logos. All right? It's where we get the word logic. All right, and we could have like an entire series on that word alone. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Okay, but if you look up that word and, and see the definition of the Greek, it means of speech, word, discourse, teaching, narration, discussion, mind, and thinking. All right, so we're going to go on a little trailer right here. So God names himself with a term that stands for narration, discourse, speech, and thinking. Now, why would he do that? Because God takes what he calls himself really, really seriously. He doesn't just give himself names. But in his word, he's giving himself a name that points us to him being a thinking, speaking, narrating God. For which is involved a discussion and speech. So God is, is, is pointing to something here, saying, it's important for you to study the word through reading Because I am a word. I am speech. I am thinking. And I am discourse. And when you have a life, or let me take a step back. What makes up a word? Anybody know? So it it takes a thought. Does that make sense? So for for me to, to bring forth words, I must think. And so God takes his thoughts. It says in his word that he thinks higher than we think. And so for him to bring forth such a righteous word, he must have righteous thoughts. 
All right, and those thoughts build upon itself to bring forth word. Does that make sense? And you cannot separate one from his thoughts. My thoughts make up who I am. Does that make sense? Like if I could somehow see how you think, I would actually see how you live and what you're about. And I'm so glad people can't see how I think. Um, But then on top of that, if you are a righteous, pure, God full of integrity that builds up on itself, that cannot change, those thoughts and those words start to become intertwined. Does that make sense? And so that's who God is. God's saying, I am the living word. And my thoughts and my words build upon themselves. The other thing that's important for us to see about Logos, or calling himself the word, is that in word there, and this is what Andrew actually talked about at the beginning of his, he must have read my notes, um, that there's life. Right for in the God uh, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword. If you Google uh, what is, what's dead mean, all right. So the word dead, um, according to Google, which I think is pretty smart, um, is the irreversible cessation of functions of the brain. So with when when there's absent of word, when there's absent of thinking, there's absence of life. Yeah. And so God's saying, "Hey, I'm calling myself Logos because I'm life." And I'm the living word that keeps on going. So why do we study scripture through the word? It's because it's living and active, as Andrew said, as the Bible says. And in it, there's this constant continuation of speech and narration and thinking that we can keep studying. Does that make sense? I thought that was really cool. God showed me that when I was preparing this. And I was like, wow, God, I didn't know that before. All right, so how do we interpret scripture with scripture? Brad, I need you again. All right. I'm sorry, you, you signed up for a bad job. All right, I'll do it from here. I'll, every class after this, I'll do this, I promise, okay? So how do we interpret Scripture with Scripture? Um, it's because, one, the Word is living and active logos, speech, word, conversation, and is of a person. All right, we're not studying some concept or idea that runs out. But there's a, there's a character throughout the entire Bible all right, and that person is Jesus, and he's all throughout Scripture. And so that's why it's living and active, because Jesus isn't dead. He's still alive, and so therefore we can keep studying him. And so that's how we can study Scripture with Scripture, because it's about a person. All right, so now we're going to get practical. All right, I'm a practical guy. You got to, like, I'm pretty black and white. Show me how to do it, Daniel. Like, quit it with all this, con- this theory stuff. Let's go. So first, all right, number one. All right, how to study scripture with scripture? Read scripture. I know that sounds basic, but we all have met people that's like, man, I want to know the God. I know I want to know the word more. It's like, well, how much do you read the Bible? And they just kind of look at you like you're crazy. It's like, well, that's an issue. All right, and so I would encourage you, and this is where I really struggle. Read big chunks. Read massive chunks of scripture. Sit down and read a lot. Um, as one preacher one time told me, just stick your mouth to the fire hydrant. Okay? Because that's what it's going to feel like. You're going to read a big portion of scripture and you're going to get discouraged. I can promise you. You're going to go, I don't know what this means. I don't understand all this. 
Where's the context? Andrew, what's going on? Help me. All right? And that's okay. All right? That's okay. And we'll talk about why that's okay here in a second. But for you to understand Scripture and interpret Scripture, you need to get as much Scripture on the inside of you as you possibly can. And read and read and read. And I struggle with that because I get about three verses in, and then I'm like, well, I don't understand this, God. I need to look further into this. And I get three verses in, and then I'm done. So read big chunks. The other thing I would say is read Jesus. If you would read big chunks of Scripture every day and read some about Jesus every day, you'll be able to interpret Scripture with Scripture really, really well. Okay? Everybody got that? By read Jesus, I'm talking about like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just live there. Just camp out there. Read some of that. All right. Next important part. Number one. Holy Spirit. Anybody know the name of the Holy Spirit? Little test quiz. Put in the homework, Tondere. Anybody know the name of the Holy Spirit? Would all you look like you're about to say it? That doesn't count. You would have you got about half the class, but it doesn't count. All right. So the name of the Holy Spirit, if you look it up in the Greek, is the name parakletos. Okay. And the word parakletos, if you look up the definition of that word, it's um, helper, comforter, intercessor. Oh, come on. And one more, advocate. Okay. So we've all been to the point in Scripture where we're like, all right, I don't get it. I need help. And so the first thing that we do, and this isn't a bad thing, is well, I need resources. So what do we do? I'm going to go buy a book. I'm going to go buy a book that teaches me how to read Scripture. I'm going to read that book. And then you read that book, and you're like, I kind of get it now. And then a month later, you're like, gosh, dang it. I don't understand it anymore. I need another resource. I'm going to get a concordance. And you go get a concordance, and you study it, and you're like, well, that worked. Oh, now I need a commentary. And we go get all these resources, when all along we had a helper. And it's a helper from God. And there's a scripture. This changed my life. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Write it down, circle it. Um, I would encourage you to just study it all week long. Actually, verses 10 through 18, um, if you really want to go for it. Um, but 2 Corinthians 10 through 11. No, 2, 10 through 11. Sorry about that. All right, read as this. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. So we talked about at the beginning. Thoughts make up a word. We have the word of God. And this is so cool. God loves you so much and wants you to know him so badly that he gave you his very thoughts through the Holy Spirit. That is awesome. That changed my life when I got that. Thank you, Paige. It's 1 Corinthians. I'm so sorry. I wrote 2 Corinthians. You need to be a better teacher. 
All right? So he loves you so much that he gave you his very thoughts. So like while like references and concordances and commentaries are great tools and I praise God for them. You have all you need in the Holy Spirit. You have the very teacher you need. You do not need Daniel Wheeler up here talking anymore. Shut me up. Sit me down. All right. You have everything you need. All right. We talked about reading big chunks. Now, I know what everyone's thought of when I said big chunks, okay? You thought, Daniel, I'm not going to remember it, right? I guess it was only me. Okay. The other reason why we need the Holy Spirit, all right? Jesus says in John 14, 26, um, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, oh, look at that, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And so while we're, I'm telling you, you are going to study scripture this week and you're going to get discouraged because you're going to go, I don't remember what I read yesterday. And all I can say is like, so in faith, reading big chunks of scripture all the time and trust that you have a really good teacher in the Holy Spirit who will bring to remembrance all that you've read. Like that's the only help I can offer to you. But it's really cool when it happens. And like, like we talked about lies earlier, you are going to get lied to this week that you don't know the word. I promise you. But the reality is you have a teacher who dwells on the inside of you who can bring to your remembrance all that he's ever taught you. And so that's why I say, like, reading scripture is really important, but you need the spirit. He's a really good teacher. I, I always think of this example. I'm a basketball coach, and there's coaches in my life that, like, Paige can attest to this. Um, like, when they're on TV and they get interviewed at halftime, I tell Paige to shut it up. And, like, I turn up the volume really loud, and I get really, really excited because I'm like, oh, they're going to say something, like, groundbreaking right here. And one day I was driving, and I thought, man, God, it would be so cool if I could go out to dinner. There's a coach I really like. His name's Brad Stevens. If I could just go out to dinner with Brad Stevens for two hours, sit down at a table, and just ask him a ton of questions. Like, that would be, God, that would be, my career would soar. That would be so cool. And God just kind of rebuked me in that, in that moment and said, I have given you the Holy Spirit, which contains all the wisdom of God, and you don't get that excited about it. And I'm like, well, thanks, God. <laughs> and so I want to encourage you, get excited to just sit down and open the Word and sit with the teacher who has all the wisdom of God and all the thoughts of God and I think if we'll go with that approach, we'll really get it. Does that make sense? All right, the next thing, and it should be one again, but I got to show that I can at least count, so three, okay, is prayer. And um, this is something that I've really grown in in the last, uh, oh, couple years, and I really enjoy, is praying the word back to God. Um, I really enjoy this is kind of my niche right now. I love just sitting down and opening the scripture um, and finding, it's usually Psalms, and I just sit in a Psalm and I just pray it to God. Um, this morning we had prayer at 8 a.m. and we just prayed Psalm 23 over the entire church. All right, God, you are my shepherd. Well, that's good, God. You know where you're leading us. You are a good provider. You are a good protector over New Song Church. 
God, your word says that we shall not want. God, New Song Church has never been in want. Not one time. You are such a good shepherd. You know what you're doing. And I just sit there, and I just speak the word back to him. And what this does is it starts to get the word in your heart. Because if I start to speak, it'll start to get in my heart, it'll start to get in my mind. And that's where I think like the true remembrance of what the Holy Spirit's talking about there in John 14 um, starts to take place. Um, and it's going to feel a little weird at the beginning. Like it's going to seem maybe a little dry, you're not getting anywhere. But I promise you, if you'll stick with it, like it's just become a passion of mine. Like I just, I need to read bigger chunks of scripture and do less of that. But I just enjoy doing that so much. Like it's, it's really enjoyable. All right. Brad, I need you. I need you up there. All right. All right. So let's walk through. Uh, Andrew kind of read my notes and stole some more of my thunder, uh, but we're going to go through them anyway. Okay. So some other tools and references um, to help interpret scripture. Okay. Um, So one of those would be a cross reference. All right. And so by a cross reference, what I mean by that is um, there are certain Bibles. There might be even actual tools of this. Uh, My Bible has it. I should have got a picture and put it up on the screen. I apologize. Um, but there's essentially my Bible here. You can see, like, there's little numbers that point to other scriptures here in the middle. You guys know what I'm talking about by cross-reference? Um, that's great. Use that. All right? And we'll actually use that, hopefully, if I have enough time at the end to kind of go through a little practice round. But essentially, you're going to read a scripture, and you're going to kind of go, oh, there's a little number by that. So it's talking about grace and truth right there. And there's a number right there by grace. And that little number is going to point you to, like, eight other little scriptures that use that same word for grace throughout the entire Bible. So that's going to point you from other scriptures to then interpret that scripture. Does that make sense? And we'll do that together at the end. All right, the next one um, is concordances, and I love concordances. They're so fascinating to me. Um, So if you have a phone, I don't have mine. I left it back there. There's an app called the Blue Letter Bible app. Uh, Highly recommend it. Um, So essentially on the Blue Letter Bible app, you pull up a scripture. You can click on the verse. All right, and when you click on that verse, there will be all these different options. There will be commentaries, what um, uh, Andrew was talking about. But at the very top, it will say concordance, and you click on the concordance, and then it will have, like, the entire scripture, all right, broken down word by word with the Greek word next to it. All right, and then you click on that Greek word, and the definition of that word in the Greek will pop up. And I would highly encourage you to do this because one thing I think in American culture is we've become really cheap with our words. Like, I use the word awesome 3,500 times a day. But then awesome is used to characterize God. And that's real cheap um, for me to do. But then if you were to actually, like, look up that word awesome and see, like, what the Greeks actually were talking about in terms of awesome, you would go, oh, wow. All right? Or the word grace, which we'll talk about here in a second. Okay? Um, Chase rabbit trails. Okay? So you're going to read scripture, and you're going to get something, you're like, man, that's kind of interesting. And you're going to choose in that moment either to stop right there and keep going on or to chase that interesting thing. And I would just encourage you, chase it. Like, chase it inexhaustibly. Just keep pursuing it. Um, and there's some people I think that would tell you, like, don't do that because you can take it out of context. And I would say chase it, but remember context. And pursue it. Um, Proverbs 25.2. It's really become a scripture I've really enjoyed here lately. It says it's uh, the glory of God uh, to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. 
So God has all these things in Scripture that are what we would call concealed or kind of hidden. Um, and he's not doing that to be a jerk. Um, but it's the same thing like if, if you're married, how when you first started dating, you had certain things that were concealed that were vulnerable to you that you did not want to reveal until that significant other started to earn certain things for you to reveal those to him. And God has that same thing for us, that if we'll pursue, if we'll chase those rabbit trails, if we'll remain faithful to his word, he will start to reveal glorious things to us. He actually says the glory of kings to search out a matter. He'll receive or will receive glorious king-like things, king-like wisdom that he has hidden that is to be revealed to us. So chase rabbit trails, just go for it. Like, study grace and go as far as you can with grace. Study the life of David and go as far as you can with the life of David. Study Philippians and go as far as you can with it. And search it out and know it exhaustively um, and see what happens. Lastly, uh, read big portions where I talked about that. Um, But one reason why I think it's important is Scripture was written off of Scripture. So you see the life of Jesus. I googled it. I couldn't get an exact answer, but I know it's over 100. So there was over 100 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life throughout the New Testament that was written in the Old Testament. All right? And then when Jesus preaches, when Paul preaches in the New Testament, often what does he do? He quotes Old Testament. So if Scripture is written off of that basis, it's important for us to read big chunks and understand certain contexts, understand certain bases to cover for us to fully get that. Making that, that makes sense? All right. Last thing, and then we're going to practice it if Ashley will give me enough time. All right. Is a basic biblical thing. Oh, I should have wrote that in the middle. Called ask. All right. The ask principle. It's found in Luke 11, 9 through 13. All right. And it stands for ask. Seek and knock. All right, and so in Luke uh, 11, um, Jesus is uh, teaching, and he talks about, which you guys probably all know, ask, and it will be uh, given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And I would say the same thing when reading Scripture and interpreting Scripture with Scripture, is ask, God, teach it to me. God, what do you want to show me in this? And I, I believe he'll answer you. Seek it out. Search, chase those rabbit trails. Keep, pursue, all right? And knock, and it says the door will be open to you, which means he's going to actually reward you with himself. And you're going to see more of the fulfillment of his character. And then Jesus actually finishes that teaching with what? Um, that your earthly father knows how to give good gifts. How much more does your heavenly father know how to give the gift of the Holy Spirit? And so he's talking about how the Holy Spirit is actually the fulfillment of the asking and the seeking and the knocking um, for us to actually uh, pursue that. All right, so we're going to practice real quick. Ashley, do I got enough time? Thank you so much. Do I got enough time for two rounds or just one? Just one. So I got to choose between round one or round two. We're going to go with round two. I like it more. Dang it. Darn it. Okay, round two. Brad, I need you again. All right, we're back in John 1. John 1, verse 14, okay? 
Man, round one was going to be really good. I'm just going to let you guys know that. <laughs> round two, John one fourteen. All right, it says, and the word became flesh. Then it says something else, but then it ends with full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh. It's talking about Jesus, and Jesus came full of grace and truth. So let's interpret that scripture with scripture. You guys ready for this? We're going to like do this practically. You guys can do this at home. It's really easy. If a basketball coach can do it, guess what? Anybody can do it. All right, that's my motto. So Jesus, he came full of grace. He came full of truth. We got that. Uh, step one. Okay. So let's study out what is grace. How can we interpret grace with Scripture? Okay. So if you had the Blue Letter Bible app, you could click on the concordance. You could click on grace. Um, it's like my, my favorite definition ever. It's so cool. All right. So you would click on grace, and you would get the word charis. That's where we get the word charisma. Okay. And that definition of that, this is a, just please listen to this. If you get anything from me today, get this, please. All right. Of merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. So grace is charis. Okay. And that means holy influence. And affection towards righteousness. If I would have asked what grace was before we went through the definition, I would have got the word forgiveness like 19 times. Or mercy. And grace is that. But this shows the beauty of, like, the Greek definitions. Grace is not just forgiveness of sin, but it's actually the power to not sin anymore. That changed my life. Okay, so if you would have clicked on that word charis on the concordance, you would have got that definition. If you would have kept scrolling down in a concordance, it will show every time that word, that single word charis, is used throughout the entire Bible. All right, that's cool, because I don't know how to do that. All right, and so you can scroll down and see every time the word charis is used. And so that's how you can use other scriptures to interpret this scripture, because it's the same word. Everybody tracking? But you would have got to a scripture called Titus 2, 11 through 13. And I love this. I think it's the, in my opinion, which isn't worth a whole lot, one of the best definitions of what grace is in the Bible with scripture. Okay? So Titus 2, 11 through 13, okay? For the grace of God has appeared, all right? Grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. There's one thing of grace. Instructing us to deny ungodliness. There's two things of grace. And worldly desires and to live sensibly. There's three. Righteously, there's four. And godly in the present age. There's five. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So it brought salvation. It brought uh, instruction, 
to ungodliness. So we're going to say godliness there. Righteous and godly in the present age. So we're just going to put righteous. Did we get this so far? Everybody, everybody see that? We good? We tracking along. So Jesus came full of grace. What's that mean? Full of grace. Like we use that word all the time in the church, right? Well, that means he came full of a holy influence that instructs me to go towards righteousness. Well, that's a little bit more right there. He came full of grace, which actually brings forth salvation, godliness, and righteousness. Coming full of grace is coming full of salvation. That's beautiful. That's getting me somewhere. All right, now let's look at truth. Okay? So if you had a cross-reference Bible, there'd be a little number there next to truth. I think in mine it's like the number four. And that would point you to a scripture in John 8, um, verses 31 and 32. All right? So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Well, look at that. We're doing a discipleship class, Tondurai. And Jesus says, if you're a disciple of mine, you must continue in my word. Well, look at that. We're doing something right here, Tondurai. Great job, man. All right. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Okay, so John 8, 31 through 32, points to truth, brings freedom. We see that. Everybody, we're tracking along. I get on a rabbit trail sometimes, and I'll lose you. All right? So Jesus came full of truth, and we can see through Scripture that truth does bring forth freedom. And if you were to study out that freedom even more, you'd be probably pointed to Galatians 5.1, which talks about how uh, it was for freedom's sake that Christ came to set us free. So Jesus came full of grace which is a holy influence towards righteousness, which brings forth salvation, godliness, and righteousness. He came full of that, and he came forth full of truth, which brings forth freedom. That's so much more than just saying Jesus came full of grace and truth. That's something I can go and I can get the lost saved with. I can see somebody in bondage and go, yeah, Jesus didn't come for that because he came full of truth. That's taking the application that Andrew just talked about and going into the world and living a holy, righteous life. Because because Jesus came full of grace and I have the Spirit dwelling on the inside of me, I can go full of grace. That makes sense? And so I would encourage you to just sit down, in closing, to just sit down and start reading. And read as much as you want. And when you get to something... And go, all right, I'm going to go farther with that. And ask the Holy Spirit, teach me this. And let him go with you. And because he's going to use his word more than you're ever going to hear the audible voice of God. He is going to use his word just like this to help influence and teach you the words that you're trying to actually learn and wherever you're learning them from. All right? So in closing, there's two things. Um, Think of Scripture as this giant chain. 
okay? A giant chain. Whatever chain you're thinking of, I want you to just picture it about 50 miles longer, okay? And let's make it a gold chain because gold is beautiful. All right, I'll help my example here. Tondra, he'll appreciate this one, okay? And I want you to imagine that that giant gold chain, it just got tied up in this giant knot. I mean, just a massive knot. That's kind of how I view scripture. Is there's just this giant knot, all intertwined, all messed, not messed up, because scripture isn't messed up, but just all woven together. And it's our job just to slowly unwringle that puppy. And I'm, I can promise you that each little link that you slowly kind of get untangled, you will fall in awe and wonder of it. Yeah. At the beauty and the goodness and the mercy of God. Because he's just so good. And there's going to be days you're going to wrestle on Tangle That Puppy and you're going to get frustrated, and that's okay. Just come back the next day. And keep untangling and seeing like the goodness that he has. Um, I can't speak for Tondari, but my ultimate goal for you guys, I'm reading a book right now um, that talks about... Uh, it's called The Spiritual Man by Watchman E. It's changing my life. And um, he uh, talks about uh, the ability to tend for one's soul and how we don't have that ability on our own. Um, but that as a mature Christian, we need to reach that point to where we can actually tend for our own soul through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that's the goal of this is that through Scripture, interpreting Scripture, that you would learn always being plugged into the church. But you would learn how to, like what the Bible talks about, going from the drinking of milk to the wholesome word or wholesome food. And it's my prayer for you. We are praying for you um, that you would learn how to do that, that you would come to this place, that you can go, man, I really can feed myself and tend myself um, for the sake of my own soul. And so I hope that through this, this will help you get there. Like that's the goal. Alrighty.